0: or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo, here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo.
1: Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application, operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com/ltn
2: Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today on our debut podcast. I'm attorney Kyle Gelcher. I'm a solo practitioner in Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice a variety of uh, legal areas. I practice civil litigation, uh, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. Uh, Today on New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer and uh, all the things you may be facing if you felt a larger firm uh, and... You are starting out on your own with colleagues in a smaller firm. Uh, Today's show, simply put, is So You're Hanging a Shingle, Now What? And we'll talk about some of the things to do after you've opened your firm, such as networking, rainmaking, generating revenue, and how to keep track of all those uh, small business issues. Joining me today is attorney Gabriel Chong. He's a principal attorney of Infinity Law Group in eastern Massachusetts, Gabriel opened his boutique law firm focusing on, uh, in Boston, focusing on divorce law, family law, wills and trusts, and estate planning in an effort to help people navigate those challenges that life throws at them. Welcome to New Solo, Gabriel. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Uh, Thank you for being here. Gabriel, as a solo practitioner, uh, everyone always says the key is is, uh, networking is to get referrals. What really works and what doesn't?
3: Uh, I think that is true that the best clients that you, uh, will get in your practice is going through to be through, uh, referral sources. There's a lot of different ways to get clients. Um, but referral sources are the best because you, you're getting clients that are already vetted, um, that has come to you with, um, uh, built in trust from uh, the attorney that they got the referral from. Uh, what works in terms of networking to get those referrals, I think, um, People need to learn how to go and network you know uh, new solos or new attorneys that come out. They think of networking more as you know they go to these parties and they bring their business card with them and they try to hand out as many business cards as they can to as many people as they can and If they finish their deck of business cards that night, they see it as you know the, they, they did a good job. Uh, unfortunately, that is not how it works you 're just passing around cards to people that you don 't know. Um, to network properly, really, I think the point is to get as many business cards as you possibly can, not to give out as many business cards as you possibly can. When I go out and network and um, f- from a lot of net, uh, business and networking gurus out there, what they say is you try to get as many business cards as you can. And the second step is the day after, you have to follow up you know, uh, contact them, ask them out for a cup of coffee because people are not going to send you business just because they have your business card. It, that's not going to happen because they don't know who you are. And biz, and people only refer you business only when they know you, when you've built a relationship and a trust. So you have to build a relationship with that other person. And the way to do that is to follow up with them, not to just simply, you know, pepper your room with your business cards. Gabriel, as a... Uh...
2: Solo or someone who's new and has opened a firm, they potentially have a very modest marketing budget. How would you recommend allocating funds for someone with a modest marketing budget?
3: I think the good thing about opening a law firm, as opposed to opening um, like a a deli or a restaurant, for example, and I, when I go out and give uh, these talks about uh, law office uh, law office management. Um, I do compare opening law firms to opening any other types of businesses like restaurants, delis, and people think it's weird, but it's not. At the end of the day, what we do is we're running a business. We're business owners, right? We're business owners that happen to provide a service which is legal, right? It's not so much different from any type of business. And the good thing about opening a law firm is that there's not much operating costs, right? What do you need really to open a law firm? You need a computer and you need a telephone, right? Maybe a fax machine. I think people still use fax machines nowadays. Um but that's about it. And most people already have a telephone. Most people already have a computer. So maybe you don't have a fax machine. Go out and get a fax machine or an e-fax service which I use. Um but I allocate most of my budget really to um outsourcing to marketing and also other services such as accountants, for example, because I I, I want to be practicing law. I want to be running my business. I don't want to be doing accounting. I don't want to be doing the stuff that I don't really want to do. So, that's the the, the all, most of the money that I spent to not really to get stuff that's going to be uh, littering all over my, my office.
2: Now, That budget may in part go to websites or social media sites. How much effort, energy, and expense should a young lawyer put into those uh, types of marketing?
3: Um, I think in the beginning, as I said earlier, your your, your best clients are going to come from your referral sources, but the truth of the matter is that when you're a young attorney that's just starting out and you haven't had a lot of business contacts or business experience with other people, you're not going to be getting referrals. All right. Because like I said, it takes time to build that relationship. And when you're new, you want to really get business in the door as soon as possible. So yes, you're going to be uh, trying to uh, network with other people while you're out and, and go to lunch and try to build that relationship. But that's sort of a long term payoff. The short term payoff really is to engage in more um, uh, immediate uh, income income streams such as uh, internet marketing, social media sites. Uh, what I do is, you know, I I have a, one main website for my firm, and then I have a separate uh, blog that I set up for every single one of my practice areas. So I blog on my divorce blog, I blog on my estate planning blog, I blog on my prenuptial agreement blog, and then I also have another associate that does bankruptcy work, and so I have her blog on her bankruptcy blog. And what that does is that targets the consumers directly so that they can find you and come. But the the problem with that is you you have to do your own vetting, as opposed to when you get referrals, like I said before, where the vetting is already there, you know, somebody has already spoken to these clients, they're going to send you only the good clients. That's not going to be true from clients you get with consumer-targeted ads and websites and stuff like that. You're going to have to vet those clients yourself. And some of them are going to be bad. Some of of them are going to be good, you know, and you're going to have to make the decision um, whether to take those clients on or not.
2: And mentioning the blogs, I I think that's a great tool to market your Yourself. Do you use those blogs to push uh, traffic to your website, or do you use them um, specifically just to provide information generally to uh, new clients?
3: Both. I think uh, the blog stand on its own in and of itself uh, because it's actually a separate site out of my website. So I have a website, InfinityLogGroup.com, which is my main firm website. has all you know the information about everybody on the site, and then each of the individual blogs is actually on a separate. Website address, you are a separate URL, and then I blog on those. And really, my my purpose is uh, consumer driven. You know, I each blog post that I put out there, my goal is to teach someone how to do something that I would otherwise do for them, right? So that sounds counterintuitive and how to get business, um, but it it isn't. Uh, the point of the blogs really is to show your expertise. Um, you're gonna, you can show somebody how to conduct a deposition or how to file for divorce. But the truth of the matter is most people will get an attorney anyways. What they're really looking at at those websites is they're going to say, this is really good information. Gabriel knows, knows what he's talking about. I'm going to go hire him. They're not going to say, oh, he has provided me all the information I ever need to litigate a divorce case. And so I'm going to do it on my own now. That's really not the case. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but... Putting information out there about your practice and teaching people how to do things that you would do for them is actually one of the best ways to get business.
2: If your firm could only have one choice, would you rather have a yellow page advertisement or a Facebook page and why?
3: I would not have a yellow page advertisement. Um... I guess I would have a Facebook page. I do have a Facebook page. I don't do much with it. Um, most of my clients, like I said, come from referral sources and, and my websites now. Uh, the Facebook page, I do stream all of my websites into my Facebook page. so every time I post a post, it would pop up on my Facebook page. I put announcements out there as to what I'm doing, uh, like like firm retreats or something like that. Um, but definitely not a yellow page advertisement because I, quite frankly don't remember the last time I opened a yellow page. A yellow book, whatever you call it nowadays, right? Um, I don't, you know, people uh, have this analogy that the the only use they had for a yellow book now is really to prop their tables with it. I don't even do that with my yellow book anymore. So, um, and I do believe that at least in the Boston area here, they have discontinued making yellow books. So I think they still have white pages, but uh, I'm sorry, this, this continued white pages, I think that's what it is. So they're starting to phase out more and more of this, this hard physical copy of yellow pages, because quite frankly, most people go online nowadays, they'll, they'll Google a business or something. They're not going to go to yellow books.
2: New lawyers um, obviously do not have the experience or a, a Rolodex, if you will, uh, that a seasoned colleague does. Without experience, how do you build client trust being new?
3: you have to really know what you're doing. Um, the the way to build client trust um, is to show the client that you know what you're talking about. And I think that's one of the main challenges that new attorneys have, not so much just, of course, to get clients into door, but how to keep them once they're there. Um, uh, how, do you, how do you give legal advice, I think is really the question, right? Um, new attorneys in you know, a law school don't teach you that stuff, right? They teach you the theory of law. They never teach you the practice of law right? And they definitely never teach you the, the business of law. But the practice of law is knowing how to give legal advice, um, how to give it confidently. And you do that by practice, quite frankly. Um, if you don't practice it, you're never going to be able to give good legal advice. When I first started out, what I did um, in the beginning, because I had so much free time, because I had no clients, um, was I went and I volunteered a lot, all right, I volunteered with the Mass Bar, the Volunteer Lawyers Project, um, to give free legal advice. I would go to the courthouses when they had Lawyer for the Day programs, and I would go and give legal advice. And I feel like it's more, um, you, you feel freer when you do that, because you're, those are not really your clients, first of all. Not like it gives you a uh, uh, Um, you know, permission to give bad legal advice. But if you screw up here and there, it's okay. You know, the mass bar takes the hit or, or the lawyer for the day program, they're saying, okay, go talk to the clerk, you know. So you have that support that you wouldn't otherwise get if you were just sitting in your office giving free legal advice. But seriously, volunteering is the best way to learn how to give free legal advice. And one of the, uh, let me tell you a story. One of the big questions that I always got when I first started practicing um, that clients used to ask me was, how old are you? And as new attorneys, you're going to get that question a lot. And I realized after a while that what they cared about was not really my age, right? They can care less about how old I am. What they really wanted to know was, do you have the experience and knowledge to solve my problems? But of course, most people don't want to say that to you, right? That's rude. So they ask in a roundabout way that same exact question, which is, how old are you? And the longer I've been in practice, the less I get that question. And I rarely ever get that question nowadays, how old are you? Because after I already did the consultation, the initial consultations with them, the trust is already there. So if you do it right, you'll never get that question as you get as you uh, go into practice longer
2: I think to add to that um, One of the things that you can do that's very simple is to just be very prepared for client meetings And you touched on that a a great deal But I don't think young lawyers are being as prepared as they can be You may have to spend some time in the law library a few hours at a time to get that knowledge If you can't go out necessarily and, and get the experience for some reason experience, however, is is very important um, potentially the other thing to do is if a big case walks in the door uh, and you're not as experienced is to get co-counsel uh, and don't be afraid to reach out to your brothers and sisters in the profession and potentially work with them and you gain the experience at the same time. Absolutely. Um, could you potentially name three ways that a lawyer can improve his or her current practice?
3: Sure. I, it, When I've been asked this question before, I always have just three rules. And these are the the the, the three answers to your question. Number one is ask. Number two is observe. Number three is practice. And that applies to everything. Ask, observe, and practice. If you don't know something, ask, right? And secondly, go observe what other people are doing. Third, you have to actually do it. You have to practice it. And that applies to both um, uh, your marketing efforts and also the practice, learning how to practice law. So in terms of uh, uh, um, marketing practice, right? This is what we're doing now. You're asking me what I do for marketing, right? And then number two, you can observe what people do by going online or going out and seeing how people are getting business, going to these business lunches, seeing how more professional people that have been in practice longer, how do they network? How do they build these business relationships? Number three is you have to practice it. Because as much as I tell people the one, two, three steps of how I do things, um, they usually drop the ball at three. They usually drop the ball at not practicing. They're not doing it. They know what it is that they need to do to get clients, but they don't do it because they say, oh, this is is either not going to work for me or I don't know how to do that or it's too hard or I don't have the money. It's not really an excuse. You can do it. You know, you can start a law firm on a limited budget. Um, In terms of shifting to how you practice, how to learn to practice law, it's the same exact thing. You ask, observe, and practice. If you don't know, if you're going in for, uh, for your first trial, for example, ask someone who has been to trial before, a mentor, ask how they do it. Number two, go to court ahead of time and observe how somebody else does it. And then the third thing is you have to practice yourself because I don't care how many times you've seen somebody give opening or closing arguments, you will not know how to do it as effectively until you actually practice it yourself.
2: And to extend that, it, that doesn't just have to remain in the the law realm of getting a mentor who practices law. That can extend to someone who also does marketing and going out and saying, well, gee, I know you're a marketing person, you're a professional person in that business. How do you market? What, which, what, what can I do um, to improve my practice as far as marketing? Don't be afraid to your, expand your mentor base to other professionals, not just lawyers. Um, Which organizations should a new lawyer join and why? You mentioned the Massachusetts Bar um, before. What about the American Bar? What about some of these other uh, associations? What are your thoughts?
3: You should join whatever you're comfortable with. But I would say that, um, at least in the Boston area, for example, you really should join your local bar association and your practice-specific Bar Association. Um, so, for here here in the Boston area, we have the Mass Bar, the Boston Bar, right? Um, a local bar you would join is really like the Norfolk County Bar Association or like the Essex County Bar Association, something like that, um, and practice-specific bar associations. So, for example, if you practice um, uh, elder law, I know there's a group called NALA, Right? The North American Elder Law Bar Association or something like that. And then there's one for like bankruptcy lawyers that do consumer law and they, they have their own association where they run listservs. Um, I'm part of this group called Starting Out Solo, which is not really a bar association, but it's a group of um, attorneys um, that started their practice straight out of law school. And there's a, uh, there are special challenges, I think, to attorneys that have absolutely no experience with law or working for someone And they start to practice right after law school. So we we formed a group and we meet once a month. And the most important thing is we have a listserv and we we talk to each other and we ask each other silly questions. And I know a lot of these other bar bar associations also run listservs where you can ask questions. Um, Lawyers Weekly, for example, runs their own listserv. So um, I think everybody should have a Lawyers Weekly subscription, even though it's really expensive. Um, But you should have it. Um, They run a listserv also. And if you get involved in the community, it's not all... It's not just um, um, you being able to find mentors. That's number one. Number two is asking questions of people. um, And number three is also networking, right? And helping others. Because the longer you practice and the longer you're on these listers and bar associations, you are going to eventually become the mentor, right? To some people that are even younger than you. And you would be surprised how much business I get simply from answering other people's questions or other people coming to me nowadays and saying, how did you do what you did? Or, um, you know, I'm new in divorce. Show me how to do this. And they're going to send you some clients or your your older um, professionals or mentors are going to send you clients.
2: Are business luncheons still an effective marketing tool?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think, um, I think more and more people are... are busier nowadays. So, sometimes they don't even do lunch, they just do coffee. Um, But I try to meet with all of these people um, that I actually um, uh, converse with. So, when I meet somebody that I think is of interest at um, uh, an event, a bar association uh, party, or um, I'm on Twitter a lot. So, people that I converse with on Twitter, I try to meet them. So, if I can't make it to a lunch, I would at least make it um, uh, to a coffee because nothing um, solidifies that relationship building that I was talking about initially better than face-to-face contact you can email someone you can Twitter with someone you know or you can uh, be on a listserv with someone but on, unless and until you meet them in person and you talk and you exchange pleasantries um, you're not going to build that relationship
2: okay well we need to take a short break uh, when we return more with attorney Gabriel Chong we're going to talk about what to do when your first client walks through the door
0: Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you, automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says Our Podcast Feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like the Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com.
2: Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're joined by Attorney Gabriel Tron, the principal attorney of Infinity Law Group. Uh, Gabriel, would you recommend becoming published? And what can a new lawyer really expect uh, or, or gain from uh, having an article published?
3: In my opinion, writing is probably one of the best forms of marketing that you could possibly do. Um, like I, I said before, I write on my blog a lot, Right. Um, that gets disseminated to clients in my consumer base, um, directly. And that, that is great. And I think anybody that really can write should do that or has the passion to write can do that. But you have to do it. Consistently, um, I write on my on all of my blogs at least once a week, uh, or, or you know, uh, if you are busy, maybe twice a week. Um, uh, sorry, twice, once every other week. Um, but you need to write consistently. But what I think you're talking about is really getting published, um, lawyer to lawyer. Um, and if you're a lawyer, you get these magazines uh, from your local bar association, or Lawyers Weekly, um, or the American Bar Association. Um, believe it or not those magazines and newspapers, they are dying for content. If you contact one of their editors or one of their reporters, they will be so happy that you're reaching out to them to write. You have no idea. Um, anything that you want to write about they would love to have you. Um, I've written a lot of articles for the Mass Lawyers Journal. I've contributed to, the, uh, to Lawyers Weekly. Um, and I've recently had, um, just this past year, two articles in the Wall Street Journal. So that, that really shows um, expertise, which is what you're trying to build as a new attorney. Um, you might not have a, cl- a lot of clients, but guess what? You have a lot of time. And that time should be spent on learning the law, and making yourself an expert. So though, even though you're uh, in some states, as in Massachusetts, you're not allowed to use the word um, expert or I specialize in. Apparently that, you know, that, that runs afoul of the um, uh, ethics rules. And that applies to a lot of other states too. Um, you want to convey that same sense through your writing. So for example, um, I contributed to two Wall Street Journal articles, right? I'm I'm not looking um, to have really clients pick up the Wall Street Journal that day and say, oh gosh, you know, Gabriel wrote about prenuptial agreements in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I really need to go get one right now. That's not my point. The point is that once I write an article like that, I am disseminating it like crazy. I put it on all my websites and all my blogs and I Twitter it and I tell people about it. And when someone, Along the way, maybe um, months later or even years later, they come upon my site and they're doing research as to who they want for an attorney that does something like this. They're gonna say, "Oh, look, he has written another things. Let me see what he has written about." And then they will go back on your archives and they said, "Oh, um, you know, he's he's written here about this exactly about my issue. I think he's a real expert. I'm gonna go with him." And that's really the thing I'm, I'm I'm gearing towards. And I also want attorneys to see hey, Gabriel is writing this and I see his name out there all the time. So, the next time they have a case that is within my realm of practice, they will say, hmm, I'm going to send that case to Gabriel because I'm right at the top of their mind, right? Because the the last person they remember uh, uh, reading something about was me. So... Doing it all the time keeps you in the forefront of people's minds, and that's really important.
2: And you touched on there's a real value in the dissemination of the articles uh, that you're that you're writing, and they can be linked to, they can be Twittered, and not just by you, by other people that may see it or read it, and you just never know where your next client may may come from.
3: Yeah, don't keep it a secret, right? We, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have LinkedIn nowadays. Tell everybody, tell everybody's friends and their moms. A
2: lot of times... Uh, Clients may come in, a potential client may come come into your door, and um, y- you talk to them, uh, you give them the the initial initial client meeting, uh, but you don't hear from the person. Is there is there anything that can be done to follow up with this potential client to perhaps gain their business?
3: Um, well, I think there's a couple of schools of thought on this. Um, I will tell you what I do, and I'll tell you what the other school of thought is. What I do is I really, I don't follow up with clients that don't engage me. Um, and, uh, I, I, one is I don't want to feel desperate. I don't want to go after them and be like, why didn't you hire me? You know, what's wrong with me? Um, I don't want them to do that, but what I will do, I will learn from my experience. So when I was, uh, first starting out, I, my, my, I guess my, my rate of conversion, as they say, for clients coming in and getting the clients was extremely low. Um, that's because I don't think I had developed that confidence yet that that um, uh, was needed for clients to hire me. So the more I did it, the more I learned from the experience. So my conversion rate now is well over 90%. So over 90% of clients that actually come in, I get them. It's because I've learned over time how to do this. Now, the second school of thought is that you should reach out to those clients and say one of two things. One is if um, what could I have done to get your business. That's one of the things that people say. The second thing you should do is, even if they decide not to hire you, ask them, um, uh, could I refer you to somebody that could um, help you? In that respect, you're accomplishing two things. One, you're building uh, more of a trust relationship with the client. Two, you're referring clients out to other attorneys, other people that you have built relationships with. And one of the best ways to get... Uh, clients from your referral and networking sources is to give them clients. Because trust me, when somebody, when an attorney or financial advisor or whoever sends me a client, you better believe that I remember that person because I kind of feel bad. I keep them at the top of my mind and I say, oh, the next client that comes in, I have to send them something because they sent me something, right? So, it's sort of like exchanging gifts, Christmas presents. Um, you want to remember what they got you. So, you want to get them something back of equal, equal value, right? Um, so, you're accomplishing two things. Um, so, that's the second school of thought.
2: As a final question, what is the best piece of advice given to you?
3: Um, I don't think ever anybody ever told me this, but I do remember uh, one of the things I do uh, with, with my time in the morning, I spend an hour each day trolling the internet for blogs that um, I love reading. And most of them are not legal blogs per se. Most of them are like business journals um, and marketing stuff. One of the best advice that I think I saw in one of them was this, work for full price or work for free, but never work for cheap. And I have stuck to that. And what that means is basically that, you know, work for a client at full price, meaning you charge that client your full price or do pro bono work, but never, ever discount your services because... As a new attorney, you're going you're gonna to feel this overwhelming urge to give people discounts all the time. Or you're going to feel this overwhelming urge to, um, instead of charging you know, $200 an hour, if somebody says, oh, how many years have you been in practice, sir? You're going to say, you know what, I'll charge you $100, right? It's sort of like um, they're trying to buy their love or something. But what new attorneys don't understand is that when you work for cheap, when you cheapen your services... When you devalue your own services, clients devalue you and clients devalue your work, right? So you don't get better clients. You might get that one client, but you're not going to get a good client. And at the end of the day, good clients recommend good clients. Bad clients refer out bad clients. So don't ever let a client come back to you and say, you need to give me a better price because... I have an aunt or an uncle that might also need your services. So I, I, you know, I'm going to refer you cases. Bad clients refer bad clients. So don't cheapen your work. Um, if you're going to do pro bono work, do pro bono work. If you want to do discounted work for, uh, for you know, charity or, or other, other stuff, then pick your own pro bono clients. Don't let them pick you.
2: Well, that out about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember that you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And you can also sub- subscribe to this program through iTunes. Uh, and a very special thanks to my guest, Attorney Gabriel Chong, for joining me today. Uh, Gabriel, if someone wants uh, more information on today's uh, topic, how can they reach you?
3: Uh, They can uh, reach out to my websites. Um, I have several of them, but my main website is www.infinitylawgroup.com. Or feel free to join the group that I talked about before, which is www.startingoutsolo.com.
2: And of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LexisNexis. You can find more information about LexisNexis at LexisNexis.com. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Kyle Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis.